All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome back to the second hour of Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I want to thank our sponsors for the second hour for making this show economically viable. They are Nanostruck Technologies, Paramount Gold and Silver Corp., Columbus Gold, and Golden Arrow Resources. Well, I'm really pleased to have with me once again Dr. Robert McHugh. He's the president and CEO of Mainline Investors. That was uh, founded in 2003 to provide technical market forecasts for stock and precious metals markets, offering trading education and a platinum trading service for subscribers interested in managing a speculative segment of their total portfolio to achieve above-average returns. And people should go to technicalindicatorindex.com for more information on uh, Dr. McHugh's service, technicalindicatorindex.com. Robert uh, is the author of the soon-to-be, well, actually, the now-published book called The Coming Economic Ice Age, Five Critical Steps to Survive and Prosper. Uh, Prior to 2003, Dr. McHugh was a founder and chief financial officer of a regional bank in eastern Pennsylvania called Main Street Bancorp. Uh, and uh, president of Main Street Investment Corp. Prior to that, Dr. McHugh was chief financial officer for National Penn Bancorp. His daily newsletter, The Technical Indicator Index, is a must-read for everyone who watches markets closely and desires to stay ahead of the herd at every market turn. And I can say as one who reads his newsletter on a regular basis, uh, it is uh, nobody works harder then Dr. McHugh, nobody provides more information, I think very timely information, than Dr. McHugh. So really pleased to have with have you with me again, uh, Robert. Thanks for joining me. It's absolutely my pleasure, Jay. I really appreciate it. It's, uh, it's really great to have you back again. You've been with us several times. I know that in the past, uh, it seemed to me that you were warning about some very severe economic declines. Well, of course, we had one in 2008, 2009, but after that, it seemed to me uh, that what you were saying seemed more imminent than it turned out to be. Do you think you were sending signals out that might have had people uh, heading for the bunkers too early? Well, I mean, I... I did have people ready in 2006. I put out a uh, conservative portfolio because uh, I saw the major decline that was started in 2007. Uh-huh. And uh, and I, I think, uh, you know, we called that right from 2007 to 2009. I have a primary trend indicator, which is a very important uh, long-term trend indicator, and that generated a buy signal in 2010 
and so that's been on a buy signal ever since 2010. Mm-hmm. Uh, now that that being the case, we've been watching this 23-year jaws of death, what I call jaws of death, broadening top pattern in stock markets, started over 20 years ago, and so we knew that this thing was coming to conclusion, and it's just a matter of how fast it was going to finish. Did it decide to take a little more time and to complete, or would it take uh, you know a more rapid ascent? It finishes when there's one final rally leg that that sets records and reaches um, the uh, a rising upper boundary line. And mm-hmm. so it just took a little bit longer than uh, you know than maybe at first glance uh, you might want to one might have thought. But the buy signal and the primary trend indicator stayed. It stayed there. And the market kept going up, so our conclusion was that uh, the timing of the completion of this pattern is probably, if you use a a straight line trajectory over the path of stocks uh, over the past couple of years, uh, it would be probably next year or the year after. 2014, 2015. Yeah, I know that's that, the way it looks like right now. I know that um, I, later I hope, to, I hope we can get to this issue, but I know, I know you talked about three different possible scenarios uh, with the conclusion of this major bull market. Uh, and uh, but, but you talk about the jaws of death or the megaphone formation, the broadening channels, and uh, it, it's in your book. And I, and I might just mention to people that the coming economic ice age, which is what I want to talk to Robert about mostly today, uh, can be purchased at Amazon.com. That's the best place to buy the book. Uh, and I have a copy of it and have read it on my way back from Portugal this past week. Uh, it is really a fascinating book with lots of charts uh, and historical examples of how this uh, this megaphone uh, formation or this jaws of death formation uh, has been very accurate, hasn't it, Robert, in terms of predicting uh, a decline um, of major proportions. And I think in your book you mentioned there were there were eight uh, such declines beginning. Uh, in 1929, could you perhaps give our listeners a bit of um, a bit of background? And you know, when did these uh, market declines occur, uh, and what were the magnitude? And can you put the 1929 one in perspective with the one that you're looking at now? Sure. Yeah, there have been, as you said, eight eight times over the past century where we've seen this pattern appear, and in every single instance, as soon as the pattern completed, and the completion point is when it's a five-wave up-and-down pattern, when that fifth and final wave touches the upper boundary of the pattern, then we see, in every instance, a major economic recession or depression follow with a major stock market decline. And, uh, for example, it was here before the stock market crash in 1929. Almost every one of these patterns took anywhere from three months to a year to form. It was there before the uh, stock market crash of 87. It was there before the uh, 2000-2003 recession in 9-11. It was there before the 2007-2009 Great Recession. Uh, in each one of those eight instances, uh, there were a few others, in each one of the eight instances over the past century, the pattern took about three months to a year to form. Uh, the difference this time is the pattern we're looking at has been in formation for 23 years. Wow. So it's massive massive in comparison to prior patterns. There were no instances in the past century where we did not get a massive recession or depression uh, afterward. Uh, They all resulted in major economic declines. 
Because of the large size of the pattern this time, the ensuing resultant uh, economic collapse will be proportionately larger as well. And that's because this pattern is, is a larger degree wave, correcting a larger degree pattern uh, of a market, of market uh, pattern than uh, the great crash of uh, 1929, stock market crash of 29 and the Great Depression. If you look at LA wave analysis, was a, uh, a, a super cycle degree. Mm-hmm. This one is a grand super cycle degree. This, this coming recession depression that's going to follow this uh, completing jaws of death pattern will be correcting a bull market that has been in place for over 300 years, three centuries. Hmm. This current bull market started with the Renaissance, went through the Industrial Re- uh, Revolution, went through the Technology Revolution, and is now coming to completion. And it proportionally, corrections in stock markets and economies, you know, have to have to tie in uh, with a uh, proportional relationship to the previous rally. Mm-hmm. And since this is a 300-year rally, and it's taken a market up very, very high, the intensity of the coming decline is going to be equally proportional, and it could either be proportional in terms of length of time or, or just severity of decline. Mm-hmm. Um, this could be a 7 to 10-year correction, a wave 4, grand super cycle wave 4 uh, recession, um, but it would be very intense if it's only 7 to 10 years. Hmm. The last 50 years, it may not be initially as intense as it will be by the time it's all over. Mm-hmm. My suspicion is this will be quick. This will be a 7 to 10 year uh, massive recession and it will be very intense. Wow. It reminds me a lot of Robert Prechter, who we've had on this show, talking about a 500-year uh, kind of event, uh, a, a return to the Dark Ages. Uh, that doesn't sound like anything to be very happy about. No, it's not. It's something we have to be very prepared for. Um, this is a very unfortunate thing, but it's upon us. The, the patterns are here. The, the, you know, the different su- technical analysis sciences, you can look at two or three different sciences. They're all saying the same thing. Yeah. If we, um, you know, I would just think that most people don't want to see this. I mean, it's just, what do you say to people? You've, you've had eight times, you say, since 1929, eight of these megaphone formations. Never was there one that didn't result in a, uh, in a major stock market crash, as if I understood you correctly. Um, what do you say to the people that will inevitably and, in fact, are saying this time it's different? Well, you know, I think that's been said pretty much in every one of those prior eight instances. Mm-hmm. Uh, the stock market crash of 29 ended the uh, roaring 20s. Uh, nobody thought that was going to happen, and that lasted into, into the 40s, the Great Depression, and then it ended up with a World War II uh, event uh, as conflict and tensions uh, mounted from the, ec- the economic collapse. You know, who would have thought that in the year 2000 that we would start a major uh, recession that would last through 2003? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the other Y2K thing, and everybody thought that we were all well prepared and the Federal Reserve was pumping money, keeping liquidity in the system, and we ended up seeing a major stock market collapse uh, over that three-year period and a severe recession. And then the Great Recession of 2007 to 2009, we had hit all-time highs in the stock market in October 2007, and so everybody thought, okay, the Fed knows how to prevent this from happening. We got the plunge protection team and 
set up from Reagan in 1988, and then, uh, you know, we have uh, the Fed that's on the job, Bernanke's pumping money, we're all going to be okay here. And sure enough, that recession was extremely severe and lasted probably, you could be argued, still going on now. Um, except for the stock market's performance, I think the real economy is still in a real hole here. Oh, for so, sure. You know, yeah, so there's a false security, you know, this time will be different, this will be okay. Um, and I think what I've learned is that the patterns are the language of the markets. Right. Now, the reason that the stock market has a pattern is because the stock market is the perfect knowledge, the perfect vote of all people with all knowledge everywhere on earth about everything they know. And they're mm-hmm. making a bet every day that things are going to get better or things are going to get worse. And so whenever they buy or sell a stock, they're, they're making a judgment on the future. And the stock market is the accumulation of all this knowledge. And history has shown, and studies of the of the stock market have shown that that it actually the psychology of men, uh, whether it's self fulfilling or not, appears in patterns and is predictive about the next direction for the stock market and for economies. Robert, I believe that uh, the patterns that you show in your book have to do with the with the Dow Jones. Do you see that in other? Other indices as well? The, the same a great megaphone? Question, Jay. Yes. A great question. The answer yeah. is yes. The Wilshire 5000 is uh, basically the entire U.S. stock market. And that is that pattern is sitting there at the same length of time as we see in the Dow. And it's also a textbook perfect pattern, as is the Dow's text. There is a slightly less than textbook perfect, but I think still valid pattern in the S&P 500 over the same 23-year period of time. The Dow transportation average, this pattern is showing up in that over the same period of time. On a shorter-term scale, uh, not quite as large a pattern, but it's there. Uh, the stock's uh, 50 uh, euro Dow average has this jaws of death pattern, which is just completing now as well. It's a smaller version of the pattern, but the result will be the same, and that is a coming economic decline, perhaps collapse uh, in Europe. And it's possible it will start in Europe because that pattern looks more complete than some of these other patterns. Mm-hmm. And that's not unusual. We see these collapses oftentimes start in Europe, and then they roll across the ocean to the United States mm-hmm. and eventually become global. Well, um, all right. So we have this uh, we, we have this pattern that's emerging. And, um, you know, I, it, it's hard for me to get my head around the notion that this could be worse than 1929, 1932, because, after all, the Dow declined by just a whisker under 90%. During that time frame, how much worse could this equity market decline be than 90%? I mean, it could be 99%, but that's not much worse than 90%. <laughs> I mean, it is, I guess it is a lot I mean, worse once you're, once you're at 90% down. If you lose another 90% of that, it's, it's still bad. But, but I mean, I'm trying to get my head around this notion of something being worse than, than the 1929-1932 time frame. Yeah, I mean, as far as percentages of stock market decline, it's hard to say whether this one will be 50%, 70%, 90% like that. But mm-hmm. I think it's, it's saying something more about the world economies and mm-hmm. the world political structure than just the stock market itself. Mm-hmm. Um, because in my book, I bring up the point about um, the, the probability of wars resulting from these patterns. And... Uh, there's a little correlation there. And uh, we could see major political change. I bring up some instances of some changes to the political structure that people thought were unthinkable mm-hmm. uh, before these patterns in each instance. And then afterwards, you see these political changes that were massively significant, uh, that we shake our head and say, gee, I never thought I'd see the day where you know, the Federal Reserve would buy stocks or something like that. Yeah. Right. And so, yeah, so, you know, we could see change and major changes and maybe the, the results from, from political perspective.
perspective, could be um, se- severe and mm-hmm. could could change the way of, of life as we know it, and and that that could be part of the reason why it's it's severe. It would be more than just a dollars and cents stock market decline. Yeah. Um... You noted in your book that if there's any good news at all coming out of this, it could be that we still have some more time left to the upside. Um, I, I guess for for the Dow, for example, uh, you know we've already made new highs uh, uh, since 2008, since that devastating decline. Uh, we've made new highs in the Dow. How much higher do you think it could go, and how soon do you think we might see? Uh, I guess you you said earlier you thought 2014, 2015 is when this this uh, mother of all bear markets would start to take place, but how much higher might we see the Dow go, and and would you advise people, and I think you probably are, advising your clients and your subscribers to uh, to still make some money on the upside? Yeah, I mean, the, it's a rising upper trend that the uh, the pattern has to catch, so every mm-hmm. day that goes by, it's, it's chasing a uh, runaway target mm-hmm. uh, of higher prices, uh, and it all depends on how vertical prices rise. Mm-hmm. Uh, if they go straight up parabolic from here, you know, per, this the Dow could reach... Uh, Seventeen thousand, mm-hmm. and then and then once it reaches that point, it'll it'll touch the upper boundary line and then drop sharply from there. If it <clears throat> if it takes its time, it could even reach seventeen thousand five hundred. Uh, so it all depends on how vertical the ascent is from this point on out. Mm-hmm. Uh, the slower the ascent, the longer it's going to take to complete this pattern. And you you might see a two thousand fifteen period of time when this thing completes. And so there is some possible upside here to play the market on the upside uh, if somebody's an aggressive trader and wants to try to speculate with a small percentage of their portfolio. Mm-hmm. It looks like there could be that opportunity. I do want to give a warning, though. There was one out of the eight previous patterns where the final wave did not reach the upper boundary. Uh-huh. It truncated. There was one instance where it stopped short of that and then and dropped early. And which one uh, was that, Robert? Which that was one? the 1986 one. Uh-huh. And that was a smaller decline afterwards. Uh, that was one of the smaller patterns we saw. The bigger patterns, most of the larger ones, reached the top, all of them mm-hmm. reached the top, and then dropped. So the good news is, you know, we might have another year, half a year, year and a half, where we can we can make a little bit of money in the market. But in the meantime, there are a lot of things we need to do to prepare uh, because it'll be sudden. The declines always come suddenly. They don't give you a lot of warning. And so we want to make sure that people are fully aware, fully prepared, as best as they can be to, uh, you know, know, the beginning of this thing, maybe it'll be mild, maybe it'll be a quiet decline at first, Mm -hmm. but at some point it accelerates and it might be too late to do some of the things that can be done now to prepare. Well, I guess you make the point that the good news is that you have time, you still have some time the way it looks to prepare, and people should be, I know, uh, the, you know, the remedies, and we'll get to those too, what people really should do to prepare for this uh, very traumatic event that lies ahead. Uh, one of the things they should do is get out of debt and, and build cash, so I suppose with a rising equity market, that uh, definitely gives you a chance to do that if you're fortunate enough to own some stocks. Yeah, that that would be nice. Uh, unfortunately, only about one out of three Americans owns over $10,000 in stocks. Is that right? So, wow. Yeah, that's all it is. So, you know, a rising stock market. And that's why the economy hasn't done a whole lot while the stock market has since 2009, because there's a disconnect between Wall Street and the, and the real economy, and all the government efforts have been to boost Wall Street and the stock market, and have not really done much for the uh, household, small business, and uh, main, main Street America. So, you know... Yeah, you can possibly make a little money in stocks at this point, but it's late in the game. There is risk this pattern will truncate, finish before it, before it reaches the top. So there's risk there. I certainly would not 
Um, I certainly would not risk a lot of my money at this point in the mm-hmm. stock market. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody carefully wants to trade or invest a little bit, um, that might be a way to make a little bit of money here. But I think there's other things they can do to prepare for what's coming. I might mention to our listeners that uh, at technicalindicatorindex.com, you provide a daily letter uh, that uh, that would keep traders up to date on a very on a very persistent regular basis, don't you? Yes, I do. Thanks, Jay. Yep, we want to I... try to help everybody be prepared for this and on a day by day basis and watch it as it's approaching. Right. So I, I think that's very worth noting, and and also uh, your service is not is not terribly. Uh, expensive, so people of average uh, means can certainly afford it. So I, w- I would just put that out there for my listeners to check out technicalindicatorindex.com uh, and learn more uh, as much as you can uh, about Robert's service. It's something that I've been following for a number of years and is, is definitely have, have been a, has been a benefit to me. Robert, you mentioned in your book and you touched on it a moment earlier about uh, the pattern of these jaws of death. First, you you noted in your book. This, you 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 have this jaws of death formation, and uh, the granddaddy of all jaws of death would seem to be upon us after having been formed, started some 23 years ago. Uh, but you you have this jaws of death formation. The markets at some point then, when they hit that upper boundary, they plunge. Uh, they may plunge, or they may start out slowly. But we're we're about to see a major decline in equities, and then the economy starts to contract. We start having a depression or recession, and then after that, unfortunately, wars occur. Now, let me ask you this: Are you suggesting because this could be a very, very major uh, decline uh, that that could be a degree more severe than that of the 1930s. That we could also see a horrendously unfortunate war event that could occur because I think you've noted that with all of these. Uh, most of these eight events, we've had some kind of a war event that has occurred following the mega megaphone formation and equity market decline, right? Yes. Th- I think the psychology of man is such that when we're going through global uh, economic distress, tensions rise, uh, need for resources rises, and conflict rises, and it naturally leads to war. And um, what concerns me here is the severity of the coming economic collapse could be create such conflict and such tension and such you know need for resources, scarce resources that um, it's certainly fertile ground for a very large war. And the stakes are much higher this time because for the first time we can uh, wipe ourselves off the face of the earth and one of the, you know after one of these patterns. Uh, you know, one of the very few times we can do that. Um, but it doesn't necessarily mean that's going to happen, but it's certainly something to keep aware of. Hopefully cooler heads will prevail, but um, the risk is there based on history. Um, you, you talk about three possible scenarios for the next market crash. Could you perhaps just touch on those a bit? Um, you know, uh, I think, you know, the one, well, maybe you could just talk about three scenarios. I don't recall exactly how you describe them in the book, but I remember there were three in it. Depending on on which one um, will depend on whether or not this market tops out 2014 or 2015, I guess, right? Yeah, it all depends on how fast prices accelerate from this point on out. You know, uh, the Fed continues to pump QE4 money into the system and Government stalemates tend to quiet down, and, and, and there's a euphoria. Earnings pick up, and corporate earnings or something, or just the psychology of, of the market 
presents itself that that, that that we see a parabolic straight up rally towards 17,000 in the S or in the Dow and 1,900 in the S&P. If something like that just goes straight up between now and year end or something, then this is this pattern's come to conclusion quicker than anyone hoped, and the decline could begin very early next year. And it, and I you know when you see a parabolic rally, the problem is they always lead to crashes almost always. So that would mean that this decline would start off would be kicked off by a stock market crash. Mm-hmm. That's not a good way to see this thing start. Uh, a better way, a better scenario, a more uh, civilized scenario would be that that the market rises slowly, takes its time, more up and down, relaxed fashion, reaches the upper boundary, let's say, by the middle of next year or, or the end of next year, uh, or even the beginning of 2015, and then in which that case, because it wasn't a parabolic ascent, the odds of it starting off as a stock market crash are a little bit lower, and maybe it'll start out just a, with a slowing down of the economy, and people will still have a little more time to prepare and catch their breath and do what they need to do. So it really is going to be interesting to see uh, where the stock market goes from here how and how fast it gets there. Okay, so what we're, if I understand what you're talking about is a depression, it looks that way, yes. And would this depression take on uh, some sort of a, uh, well, you know, the title of your book is The Coming Economic Ice Age. That sounds to me, <clears throat> excuse me, like a depression, like an economic slowdown, like an implosion of economic activity in which trade would, would decrease very dramatically, a trade internationally probably as well as domestically. The economic activity would slow um, very dramatically. And people would have to become more self-dependent, probably, to a great extent. Learn how to fix things yourself instead of hiring other people to do it. Is that the kind of scenario you see? Yes, it's, it is. That's why I call it an ice age, because this is uh, severe. This isn't just, uh, you know, your typical correction, uh, your mild recession. Uh, because of the power, powerful size of this uh, pattern, because it's completing uh, a grand supercycle wave in Elliott Wave terms, uh, it's all coming together as a confluence of, uh, of things happening here. Uh, this is going to be a severe slowdown, and it's going to change the way people look at things. And like you said, Jay, is a great point. People are going to have to become more independent and more self-sufficient. And, uh, and, and, you know, we're going to see some things that we are not going to believe. Uh, you know, we saw a peak of some things in Greece where the banks were seizing deposits. Right. I mean, who ever heard of banks seizing deposits? Right. Now, that, that was an unheard of event. Well, maybe that happens again. Or maybe loans, if you have money in the same bank you have your loan with, maybe they decide to, to uh, take advantage of uh, some small print in your contract and seize your deposits uh, to pay off their loans because they're worried about their collateral. So they, they exercise a right of offset that nobody even knew was there in the small print. And so the book addresses different things you can do to be defensive, to be protected from any possible threats. Uh, from people that you might be able to trust in the past, you won't be able to trust in the future. Mm-hmm. But will a dollar even be here? We have $122 trillion of unfunded liabilities that aren't on the book. Everything that they talk about with this balancing the budget and raising the debt ceiling hasn't even included the $122 trillion of unfunded liabilities. You know, how do you come up with that kind of money when you're only collecting $2.5 trillion of tax revenue a year? Mm-hmm. You can't. It's impossible. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. So that means something has to give. Does that mean that the dollar will be replaced with some other type of currency? Something we would never have imagined could sure. happen. Sure. I mean, during the Civil War, who would have believed that there would be that kind of, a, of an implosion in our country where brother fought brother? They had two separate currencies. One of those currencies was going to fail, and one of those currencies was not going to be worth anything. So these are the things we have to think about. We have to think about a little bit outside the box, mm-hmm. the, the institutions we trusted, the people we trusted. We're going to have to think a lot more independently now. You uh, let's, let's touch on some of the things that you're suggesting in your book people should do. Cash, uh, build cash and get out of debt. That's uh, that's one of the ideas, and we just sort of mentioned that a moment ago. If people are fortunate enough to have equities, uh, they can sell some of those and, and build cash and make sure you're out of debt. Certainly, if we go into a deflationary implosion, which is it seems to me you're suggesting is likely, then the dollar remains in, in place. You don't want to have uh, a lot of debt or any debt, really. So I would think to have cash and then gold, of course, gold and silver, which we talk about all the time on this show. Uh, you mentioned U.S. Treasuries and other securities. Uh, w- what would you mean by other securities? What other securities might you be suggesting there? Well, you know, in the bond market, people think about corporate notes and bonds. They have, they buy obligations of IBM and some of the large corporations, Exxon and General Electric and things. Corporate bonds have traditionally paid a nice high interest rate, and they've relied upon these large corporations being blue chip, uh, AAA rated or mm-hmm. AA rated and very safe and sound investments. That may change. You know, mm-hmm. maybe you don't want to trust your money to be repaid by a large corporation that might end up going down the tubes on sure. you, and then you won't get your money. So you have to take a hard look at that versus treasuries versus other sovereign debt. Do you buy the, do you buy the uh, general obligation bonds of, uh, of European nations? Do you buy the general obligation bonds of the United States of America, the United States treasuries? Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, and I'm talking about people that have a lot of money because, you know, are there enough banks out there with FDIC insurance limits uh, that you can spread your money around or are you going to have to put some of it somewhere else, like in a treasury? or, in, mm-hmm. or in, How much of it can you possibly hold in gold coins yeah. before you run out of space? So right. there's some practicalities here. Well, you, uh, you certainly silver is more of a problem in that regard than gold, but nonetheless, uh, the, the point is well taken, and how do you store the gold and all that? So I suppose diversification to an extent, but first and foremost, cash and debt-free, right? Yes, I mean, that's where I start because uh, <clears throat> the Bible says the debtor is a slave of the, uh, of the creditor, you know, and mm-hmm. there's a lot of truth to that. And when you look at these bank documents, these loan documents, and you see how banks have handled people in the foreclosures, that have gone on in the last three, four years, you realize that sometimes they're not your friends. Sometimes they're not out to support you. And just when you want to go get a loan, you know, you know, they make you have higher income standards than you used to. Or like right now, one of the biggest problems is in the real estate market is they're up to the, the, the down payment requirement on an awful lot of residential real estate to 30%. Yeah, I mean, who can afford to come up with thirty percent cash down payment on real estate so that you're shut out of the ability to buy a property? Uh, you know, where are you going to get cash for thirty percent down when your wages are limited and your and your house isn't going up in value and you know, and the stock market in the future will not be going up? Where are you going to come up with cash for real estate? So, so there's a lot of changes that happen in the banking system that you can't necessarily count on what's working today that will be working tomorrow, and we have to kind of anticipate defenses and strategies to protect ourselves. You also mentioned multiple income strategies. Could you just uh, perhaps touch on that for a moment? Yeah, I think this is one of my favorite strategies because it's um, it's a common sense strategy that a lot of people don't think about or want to do. Uh, but, you know, we can't trust the man. We can't trust if we work for a company, we're going to keep our job. You know, 
I'm, I'm advising everybody to have multiple sources of income. Uh, you're going to have to perhaps have your own business and have a way of making your own money from your home or, or a second job. And uh, evaluate every, with your wife and your family. Sit down and say, All right, where are, are our three sources of income? What if something gets cut off because of government regulatory changes or because we get fired from our job or our company loses, you know, goes out of business? <clears throat> Assuming jobs are going to be very scarce, <clears throat> excuse me, where are we going to find income, you know, because <clears throat> the stock market will be dropping, real estate values aren't rising, salaries and wages will be uh, either removed or we'll end up in a part-time job where we had a full-time job. Where are we going to get our income? And I'm thinking that there's some things we can do out there uh, to come up with two or three other ways to have revenue flowing into the household uh, in addition to just the traditional work for your, your boss and your company that we've seen uh, has worked for uh, decades in, in our country in the past. Well, it was, I, I guess it was Ben Franklin said a penny uh, saved is a penny earned. And so I would imagine picking up skills and being able to fix things and do things on your own rather than hiring other people would be one thing. And then if you have those skills that other people need, probably barter comes back into play, which I imagine is one of the reasons you want to own gold and silver as well, right? Oh, absolutely. That's a great one, Jay. Uh, we could end up in that kind of an environment, absolutely. You know, um, So trading, it, it may be how things get done. I know. It was uh, one of the recommendations that Ron Paul made when I had him as a guest uh, was that people should pick up a trade and learn how to do things uh, that are practical. Certainly as, as one who's worked as a banker, I know you have have uh, and you know earned a living by writing and thinking and and talking on the radio and so forth. I'm not uh, as handy as uh, my brother. Ed is, who lives back in Ohio, who's able to fix all kinds of things, and I often think that maybe he's going to be in better shape than I'm going to be uh, when this horrible uh, time comes, if and if and when it does come. You know, Robert, we're almost out of time, but I know that you believe very much in gold. What do you see in the chart patterns for gold right now? Well, I know that gold uh, had a, a uh, what they call a death cross at the uh, beginning of uh, 2013. Uh-huh. And those things usually, that's where the 50-day moving average drops below the 200-day moving average. And that's usually a signal, a sign that we're in for a short period of, or long period of time of, uh, of, a, of a gold decline or, or anything that, that death cross any chart you're looking at. Um, and that's what's happened. Gold has, has fallen uh, quite a bit all through 2013. However, um, you see that the... 50-day moving average looks like it's bottomed, looks like it's curling back up, and it looks like it's soon going to be reaching the 200-day moving average, and we could end up with a uh, with a golden cross very soon. Uh-huh. When I say very soon, maybe in the next six months. Uh-huh. Um, the other thing, if you look at the Elliott Wave uh, structure of gold, um, you see that it needs another very strong rally leg. I see the correction since September of 2011 is a wave four, and, and, and waves move in, in, in five-wave sessions. So that means we need a wave five up. And that, in my opinion, could be starting very soon over the next year or so. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be a, a very, very strong rally because in precious metals, the fifth waves are usually the most dramatic. In stocks, it's usually the third waves that are the most dramatic. So there's a very dramatic rally coming in gold and silver uh, precious metals, and I think it could start within the next six months to a year. Mm-hmm. And I could see gold rising at least to 3000 easily and possibly as high as 5000 mm-hmm. uh, during this coming multi-year wave a bull market rally. And mm-hmm. I think, like I said, I think we're real close to bottoming here. May have bottoms. If not, it's we're close. And I think gold will, will do really well. And I think it's going to tie in just as this economic ice age uh, 
really grips the uh, the nation and the world, I think that's when gold will start, will really be flying high because people will be seeking a safe haven. Mm -hmm. They're going to need a new monetary exchange because they're a little nervous about their currencies. Uh, It's going to make an awful lot of sense to have some gold sitting around. Yeah, it certainly would make sense to me. And as people lose confidence in the uh, in the financial system, uh, and again, to the extent the barter issue comes into play, I would think silver also could be a, a real beneficiary um, of that. And, of course, that would represent a huge transfer of wealth from the people uh, that, uh, you know, that don't have gold uh, own stocks to the people that own it, own gold and silver, right? And and then if that's the case, what do you think the chances of some sort of uh, government confiscation uh, might be? I think they could be fairly high. I, we saw FDR did that in the Great Depression because the same thing happened then. People started hoarding gold and silver, and and it was uh, threatening the uh, the, uh, U.S. dollar. So uh, FDR uh, made it illegal to hold gold and silver, and he required in a one-month period for everybody to return their gold and silver to the government. And if they didn't do it, they were fined a huge amount of money, with the equivalent of $150,000 today, plus they were subject to criminal penalties. So, um, you know, I don't know how the politics is going to go. I don't know what the government's going to do. I don't know what they think is going to be in the best interest of the country versus not. And that's the great uncertainty. And I'm not going to sit here and advocate hiding the money from the, from the government or anything like that, because, you know, we have to obey the laws of the land. Sure. But, you know, if you study what can be done and what has been done in the past, there are things you can do to legally protect yourself and prepare for all eventualities. But, um, you know, we, we will have to, of course, obey the laws of the land. There's no doubt about that. No, it's no question. What will those laws be? What will they become? You know, yeah. what changes will happen? Exactly. Yeah, no question, Robert. Well, I know that uh, the times are very uncertain. I know that this is uh, that you're a, a man of faith as well, who uh, who puts his trust in in uh, in the Creator, and I think that's something also that uh, people are going to need to think about more uh, when these events take shape, and probably should be thinking about it now, because it seems to me that getting getting right with your Creator and being right with your fellow man, uh, fellow human beings, are also going to be a very important. Important thing to do because when times are difficult, you need as many friends as you can get. I agree, Jay. And you know, God has said many places in the Bible, um, in the Old Testament as well as the New. And uh, one of my favorite verses is in Jeremiah, and he just he's, he is for us being prosperous. He is he is definitely that is his will for us. Mm-hmm. And so, if we're heading into a period of time like this, um, I can't explain why, but I can tell you that God will get us through it, and that He will uh, there will be a sunny day afterwards. Mm-hmm. This is a grand super cycle wave four down. That means that there will be a grand super cycle degree wave five up. You know, Jeremiah, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. So there will be a future and there will be prosperity again. We just have to batten down the hatches and weather this coming storm and then pray and look forward to what God does to uh, pull us out of it and, and uh, the wisdom and the leaders that he brings along to help us get get out of this uh, this coming mess. Well, there's no no question about that. We're going to uh, faith is going to be very important and and trusting one another and building up friendship and and the other practical things we've talked about as well. Robert, I want to thank you very much for being with me today and I want to tell our listeners again, it's the coming economic ice age, five critical steps to survive and prosper. Dr. Robert McHugh, very easy to read, easy to understand book. Uh, Robert really uh, makes it as as readable 
for uh, lay people as possible. I want to thank you very much, Robert, uh, for coming on the show and, and tell our listeners once again uh, that the place to go to follow Robert's work and to sign up for his newsletter, which I strongly advise you to do, it's technicalindicatorindex.com. Thank you very much, Robert, for being with us once again. My pleasure, Jay. Thank you very, very much. Well, we have to go to commercial break now, but don't go away because when we come back, I'll be with David Gerwitz of Charles Nanner Research to see what Charles is saying these days about gold, the stock market, and other markets of interest. So don't go away. I'll be right back with David Gerwitz. From the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network. Paramount Gold and Silver is a U.S.-based exploration company with multi-million ounce gold and silver deposits. Paramount's primary asset, the Sleeper Gold Project in northern Nevada, is located in one of the world's most prolific mining districts. Paramount's gold equivalent resources stand at over 7 million ounces. Paramount trades on the NYSE under the symbol PZG. For more information, go to www.paramountgold.com. Paramount Gold is located for success in gold gold and silver exploration from the boardroom to you voice america business network you're listening to turning hard times into good times with your host jay taylor if you have a question or comment about today's show jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790 That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me once again David Gerwitz of Charles Nanner's Research. Welcome, David. Good to have you back. Pleasure, Jay, as always, to talk with you. Well, um, am I talking to you in Toronto today? Are no, you in I'm Toronto? In you, you, seem, you seem to spend more time in Toronto than anywhere else. Well, no, I mean, I, you know, I happen to be playing a concert there on November 14th for a homeless group called Sketch, an organization, uh-huh. rather, that helps homeless kids. So, um, And my parents married in, in Kitchener, Ontario, in 1950. Uh-huh. So I have some, I kind of feel at home up there, but I'm... You know, I'm in usually north of New York, and, you know, Charles is the one that's all over the world. I kind of sit put, but uh, today I'm in uh, north of New York City. Well, just take a minute to talk about this, uh, about you are a concert pianist, and you uh, you do a lot of charitable things, David. Right. Uh, talk to us a little bit about this uh uh, this event that you've got going on. Right. All you listeners should just Google Sketch, S-K-E-T-C-A. Some woman handed a homeless kid in Toronto a can of paint 13 mm-hmm. years ago. And from that, they handle like a 1,000 homeless kids now a year, all sorts of services. And I have a lot of clients up there, and one of my clients introduced me to it. And one of the things I can appreciate about being homeless, I, I, I thank God I was never homeless, but my mm-hmm. talent, for music, I never knew I had it until later mm-hmm. in life. So mm-hmm. in that sense, it was homeless, and I love helping kids. I've done concerts for Special Olympics and several other organizations, so I offered to play a benefit concert. And they, anyone interested in donating or going, if they're up there, 
can go to Sketch, S-K-E-T-C-H, or write an email to me, dgerwitz at earthlink.net, and I'll send them information. And it's my honor to play. I don't take money for it. It actually costs me money, which is fine. <laughs> And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, that's good, David. That's uh, it's, it's good to do things like that and we're, and use your talents to help and benefit other people. So oh, I agree. Uh, I appreciate that, and I think it's uh, it, it's a testimony as to uh, what you're about as well. And I know that you and and Charles are very much about the world as it really is, not necessarily the world that we would like to see. And those of us in the gold mining industry would like to see gold at higher prices, or at least. Let's put it this way. Some people would. Sometimes, you know, you can benefit from low prices because it means you can buy more of something, right? Right, So, right. Uh, so we sort of like, and I've been telling my subscribers uh, through this downdraft that they should, even if they lose money sometimes, take some cash, uh, put it aside, and get ready to buy things at, at lower prices. And that's been a good strategy, I think. Mm-hmm. But give us an idea. What is, uh, what is Charles Nanner saying now about gold and silver? Well, let's think gold and silver had... They each had ten-year runs. Oh, yeah. I mean, you yeah. lived it more than that, so that was wasn't bad. I remember <laughs> way back, it didn't go anywhere. Gold. I mean, it's just <laughs> sad. And then all of a sudden, two years, everyone's depressed, down yeah. thirty, forty percent. We called the top in gold yes. in nineteen hundred, and called the top in silver high forties. So we feel good about that. But going forward, everyone says, "Will it go? Will they go back to the top?" The answer is absolutely, no question. <laughs> question is when and is this the bottom should be loading up again and the answer is it's not according to charles and the research center because he's not the only one that does the work um gonna go so fast back up to the tops like we're in a buy signal now so people should be long gold and silver according to certain levels that you could talk about if it closes below those levels the buy signal isn't on but it's going to take a few years to gold really get going there's a bunch of trades though for the next mm-hmm. few years, which mm-hmm. we're in one right now. It's an up move, get out, 100-point moves. There's going to be a lot of those for the next two years. And then eventually it's going to go to 2,000 and even more. Yeah. Well, That's you know, Robert, big picture. We, we were just listening to Robert McHugh, and he talked about how uh, he sort of believes that we've got another six months to a year uh, before we get what he, and he's an Elliott Wave guy. I know that right. Charles uh, looks at Elliott Wave and sure. a host of other things, right. but he kind of feels that we've got another six months to a year before the next major leg up starts to, uh, starts to rise. Do you have any idea what, what Charles's thinking is with respect to the timing of another major move, uh, the kind beyond the 100 point moves that you're talking about? He doesn't think that really goes for a year, more than a year out. Uh huh. And also, Before I was we... listening to your show, which I do occasionally. You know, mm-hmm. he was talking about wave five for mineral metals. Yeah, bigger move than wave five for stocks. That could be true. I don't. I didn't know. To me, Elliott waves Elliott wave no matter where it is. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. wave five only has a three possible retracement levels to wave one. Mm-hmm. But he might be right. I just that much I don't know. So. Um, but there is going to be a big gold move up. I just don't know if I'd be putting my money if there today as a bulk move like ten, like twelve years ago for the ten-year ride up. Well, you know, the reason that um, that people are successful has as much to do with timing, has as much to do with the uh, time value of money as anything else. So you can be sitting with gold way too early. And what is really good about Charles Nanner's research, the sheets that I receive here uh, four times a week, is that it is really giving you the ability to 
to put your money to work in small ways while you wait for that big move in gold. So to have some cash uh, available to get into bonds, uh, you know, or TLT is one way to play the long end of the, the long bond market. What's uh, Charles saying about the, the 30-year bond or the long bond right now? Well, um, I'm going to take a look at the re- research, but the bounce, as we said a while ago, in prices, which means mm-hmm. we're still down to the end of the year, as long mm-hmm. as 30 doesn't go below a certain level to 10 to TLT, your listeners should write to the site, say they heard me, and we'll put them on the list to get a free month. Good. But basically, longer term, we think bonds are going to be down from two to three decades, ah. which means shorting bonds, TBT, mm-hmm. or however they want to do it. Sure. Because obviously the bond trade has been a long trade for for 30 years, 18% mm-hmm. down to now. Mm-hmm. It's going to go the other way. Yeah, I'm looking at the sheet here that I received on the 29th, and uh, Charles is talking about 133.23 on the 10-year. Uh, no, I'm sorry, on the 30-year, and 126.18 on the on the 10s. Yeah, uh, right. the, the That's where the supply uh, signal stops. Mm-hmm. And TLT, which is the ETF, right. not below uh, 107.80. Right. So, uh, yeah, so there's going to be a lot of money to be made on the short side of this bond market. Right. It's just a matter of, and, and do you have any idea of how soon he sees that coming? Next year. Next year. Okay. Yeah. So this would be a trade the that... Should, the bond, mm-hmm. If we think the dollar is going to hit its top next year, then um, that's a trade to short uh-huh. the dollar. You know, uh-huh. uh, there's several ETFs that do that, DXY, sure. for example. Yep. And, like, again, how many people have shorted bonds for the last 30 years? Oh, they've gotten killed. You haven't needed to, although there were a couple of times for good TBT trade. But, so that's a mindset people aren't used to. And the same mm-hmm. thing with shorting the dollar. People aren't really used to it, even though, look at the Aussie. We were just long the Aussie, um, and it was a very nice trade. And short the Canadian now, nice trade. Again, our system's all based on math, so we don't care what the letters are. Yeah. Like if the math says yep. short copper, which we did a year and change ago, we shorted copper. And you made a lot of money. Yeah, it was a great call. One of our sovereign wealth clients wanted to put billions in copper. We said, no, I, I would short it. <laughs> you know, you know, so. Did they short? I, yeah, and so I, I, we, I don't know what they did. They don't really. Yeah. Tell me, yeah. <laughs> which is yeah. fine. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good point. I mean, uh, Charles Nanner really doesn't manage money. It no. provides information, and it's up to the clients to do with it what they, uh, how right. they choose to deal with it, with the right. information. Like yes, is an example. We think it's heading to 250 and then even below a dollar. Which one is that? Oh, natural gas. gas. Yeah. yeah. That's not an easy trade. People don't know how to trade it. The ETFs don't track so well. So I'm just saying, here's a, here's a canvas of a lot of different liquid things. Everyone has to feel comfortable doing what they're doing. Most people focus on stocks, which ain't easy. You know, Google, we thought was topping in the nines, shoots up to a thousand. You know, it's Apple, we call the top. It's Apple's on a buy signal now. Believe it or not, it just, you know, if it closes below a certain level, which I don't know if it did today. But he called the top in Apple, 702, and all the other stuff was just bounces. He still yeah. thinks Apple's going back to its high in about two years. That's so is he, is he long Apple yet? Well, it depends. I don't know. He wrote on yesterday, mm-hmm. if we remember, that um, Sunday, rather, that mm-hmm. Apple, we're looking, cycles look better, close above 537 is a buy signal. We think it goes back to its high. Where did it close? I didn't I see it. I have my screen here, so I don't know where it closed. I think it closed yeah. below there. Mm-hmm. But that's where we're looking for Apple. Uh-huh. 
Right. We got a couple of minutes here. You mentioned natural gas. Actually, it's one that I've traded off uh, successfully on a small scale, right. uh, thanks to Charles Nanner. And there are some there are some ETFs that track it. Uh, you're saying not too not too well, though. My experience is that. But uh-huh. again, I'm not an expert on that side of the world. What to trade? We can tell mm-hmm. you where things are going to go, mm-hmm. and um, we leave it for people to, in their own skill base. Um, to do what they think is best. Right. There's a couple of them, I think, on the long side. There's, it's called, the symbol is boil, yeah. and on the short side, it's cold, K-O-L-D. Kind of makes sense. Interesting. <laughs> Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Anyway, uh, what about, with a, with a minute left here, uh, the VIX? Yeah. What, what's, he, what's he, Charles, saying uh, about the VIX good now? Good question. I'm, I'm looking here at the... Uh, did we cover it today? <clears throat> On, actually, on Sunday, I think maybe he mentioned. Well, no, uh, the twenty fifth. He said something about the VIX. He says daily cycles and the VIX bottomed. However, the sell signal for the VIX, given at eighteen, continues as long as there is no close above fifteen forty. Right. So right. Um, that's it. That's still the same. I mean, he did a very nice VIX trade, which you did, as you told yeah, me before. Yeah, I, I did. I did. I made some money, a little bit that's of money one earlier. Way to in the express month. volatility, <clears throat> don't buy a short the stock market is trade the VIX, but not mm-hmm. everyone has that comfort level. So, so we've Well, I think, it, I think it takes time. People need to test it. And again, uh, people can go to work. Where, where can they go to request a, a sample? CharlesNetter.com. Write Charles. in and say they heard David and Jay having too much of a good time. We were going to have some times for jokes, actually. We needed jokes after Dr. Rock. I have one Rock quick joke. You've got 20, 20 but, 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 seconds. But we're out of time, David. Right, I've got to go. Time. i got a great joke for 20 seconds. Though. Okay, well, let's have you on. 20 seconds? Okay, shoot. 20 seconds. There was a rich guy in Canada um, who, um, I'm not going to say his name, very wealthy, multi-multi-billionaire, and they asked him, like, worth $15 billion and $3 billion liquid, how did you make your money? He said, 95% luck, 5% hard work. What would you like? He said, more luck. <laughs> <laughs> there you go, there you but go. that's not that's not entirely true. I think diligence and hard work is. Yeah, safe. yeah, no, I'm, I'm saying that the reality is we work very hard to do what we do, and we don't no, think there no. is randomness, and that's why our system seems to work. Because if it's random, how can you predict anything? Yeah, I got to run, David. Unfortunately, right. out of time. Thanks for coming on. Always a pleasure to talk to you. Likewise, bye. Okay, take care, folks. I'll be right back with a couple of very quick closing thoughts on today's show and next week's guest. Don't go away. I'll be right back. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Golden Arrow Resources on the TSX Exchange has recently made a new silver discovery and is presently drilling a 6,500-meter program on that discovery. A maiden resource calculation is expected to be released in April of this year. The project is located in Jujuy Province in northern Argentina, just 30 kilometers from the Perquitas Mine, operated by Silver Standard. Golden Arrow has an experienced team with decades of experience in Argentina. Golden Arrow offers shareholders exceptional leverage with an exciting new silver discovery. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. 
If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and uh, we've only got a couple of real quick minutes here. Uh, two minutes, my engineer tells me. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's show. I don't know if enjoyment is the right word. We tried to lighten it up a little bit with David Gerwitz. Unfortunately, I hardly had enough time uh, for the trading ideas that he has. I mean, we want to try to find a way to make money in all kinds of markets, and even Dr. Robert McHugh will say that uh, the market doesn't go straight down. When the, when the big decline comes, there's going to be a lot of ups and downs, uh, mostly downs, but there will be chances to make money on both sides of the market, uh, even in a bear market. Uh, I, I th- always Alistair McLeod has uh, so much good information in terms of the, uh, the gold and silver markets and the economics, and unfortunately just didn't seem to have the time I wanted to spend with Alistair, uh, but we'll have him back on again sometime very soon, no doubt about that. Um, also, uh, with Daniel uh, McAdams, always uh, a lot of good information in terms of what's going on in the global geopolitical scene. want to thank all of our guests for being with us. want to thank each of you also for listening. Uh, I should tell you before we say goodbye, that next week's guest will be Jacob Hornberger. He's a friend of Ron Paul. Jacob is the founder and president of the Future of Freedom Foundation. Um, and we're also going to have... Um, uh, we're going to have Mike Hoffman with me again next week, as well as Gene Epstein. Uh, Gene will be talking about uh, the next Junto and uh, probably an, an idea or two on Barron's. And Daniel McAdams, I expect, will be with us once again as well. Thank you very much for listening. Thanks, Tacey Trump and Matt Widener, for making the show uh, logistically possible. And thanks to each of you for listening. Until next week, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel.